the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Jesus had begun his earthly ministry, teaching in synagogues regularly. He was rejected in his hometown, the city of Nazareth. There, he declared he was the Messiah, the one sent from God to bring freedom to those who are oppressed by sin and death, liberty for all mankind. He traveled to Capernaum, where Jesus continued to teach on the Sabbath days. One particular day, a man with an unclean spirit arose screaming at Jesus during his teaching. He cast the demon out of the man, showing compassion on him. Jesus also healed many others, including Simon Peter's mother-in-law. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Well, remember the whole reason Luke wrote his gospel is because he wanted to show us that we have a reliable faith. And he interviewed people. Remember, he's not an eyewitness to the life of Christ. Uh, He became a Christian much later on, became Paul's personal doctor. Uh, Paul had a lot of illnesses, uh, went through a lot of hard times. And so Luke traveled with him to help him out, part of his missionary team. And so he interviewed people to find out, to get all the information he could to put together in a reliable account of our faith. And as he's been moving through the life of Jesus, he's gotten to the part where Jesus has begun his ministry. Jesus has been teaching all throughout the Galilee region. And in teaching throughout the Galilee region, people are coming to listen. And so as people are coming to listen, uh, the enemy, of course, doesn't want that to happen. And so his plan was to get, you know, to reveal that Jesus, he's the son of God. He's the Messiah come to destroy the world. And so as Jesus is doing these things, sometimes there are those who are possessed with demons and they're crying out saying, we know who you are. You're the son of God and you're here to destroy everything. And, and yet Jesus's compassion is showing the truth that he's not here to destroy us, he's here to rescue us from our sin. And so instead of driving people away, the crowds are following Jesus even more wherever he goes. And so because of these crowds, Jesus begins to enlist others to help him spread that awesome news of salvation and rescue from our sin. And so as we learn why the first disciples decide to leave everything behind, all their career behind, to to join him in that endeavor, you know, may the same love of Christ that motivated them, motivate us to do whatever the Lord wants us to do for him. So chapter five, verse one, it says, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed or asked him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. 
So here we find in chapter 5, verse 1, that the crowds are surrounding Jesus there at the Sea of Galilee. Luke calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. Um, This is the first time in the Bible it's ever called a lake. The traditional name is the Sea of Galilee, or as the Romans called it back then, the Sea of Tiberias, because the Roman city of Tiberias was right there on the hill in the area. The Sea of Galilee was only 13 miles long and 7 miles wide. Luke, who had traveled with Paul and sailed on the Mediterranean Sea, could not bring himself to call that little thing. A sea. And so he calls it the Lake of Gennesaret, which is another name, an ancient name given to it. We'll actually learn about it tonight in Deuteronomy, the Sea of Kinnereth. Gennesaret is just the Greek form of that. So, but he could not bring himself to call it a sea. He says, this little tiny thing is a lake. And so he calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. Now the people are, pre- as they're pressing upon him by this sea, uh, people are jostling to see and hear Jesus teach. And so he's being pushed closer and closer to the, to the lake, off the, off the beach and toward the lake. And you know, I think it's awesome that people were this excited about the teaching of God's word, that they're crowding around and wanting to hear it. Now, Yes, they are also likely there hoping to see Jesus do more miracles, but that doesn't negate the fact that Jesus taught them the scriptures and they listened. I have found that most people are excited when they come here and they find out, go, wow, you guys teach the Bible. Let me tell you what I'm not. I'm not a motivational speaker, all right? Certainly not at all. In fact, I might motivate you to leave. (laughs) I'm not that, okay? I'm not all razzle-dazzle, whatever. You know, every once in a while, I might get you to laugh. Usually, it's because I'm being self-deprecatory, you know. I'm not a comedian. I'm not an entertainer. I'm a teacher. Anyone we bring in here, unless it's a special event, we do bring in an entertainer, it's probably going to be a teacher because we believe it's important for us to learn the Bible because that's how we learn about God. Now, I find that most people, when they come in, they find out you're teaching the Bible, whether they come from a Christian background or not, and they go, that's interesting. I, I, I learned something today. And, and that's the idea is that The rabbis would go around and they would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so thinks this, and Rabbi so-and-so thinks this, and Rabbi so-and-so doesn't like the Romans, and Rabbi so-and-so does like the Romans, you know, and they would get into all these debates and whatever, and Jesus just came and he taught them the Bible. He taught them God's word. So in a way that they could understand it and apply it to their lives. And, and that, to me, is exciting. That's exciting to me. Like when I go and, I'm, and we're going to say, hey, we're going we're to go on this you know, retreat or whatever, and we're going to learn about this topic, or we're going to learn about this book of the Bible. I get really excited because I think I'm going to learn things I didn't know before. I'm going to grow as a Christian. I'm going to learn more about the God who made me and the God who loves me. The Bible is exciting. I people are oh, the Bible's boring. Let me tell you why church is boring for some people. Number one, someone's trying to be an entertainer and not a Bible teacher. And they're not entertaining. If they were, they wouldn't be working here. They're not funny. If they were, they wouldn't be in this place. They'd be in Vegas or somewhere else. You know, I was reading this morning in my devotions where in Matthew the Lord was telling the people about John the Baptist. He goes, what did you go out to see? So he went out to see a prophet, a guy who spoke for God. You know, and that's all we're trying to do right here. And I believe with all my heart that when someone is teaching the scriptures, whether it's in a church environment like this or family Bible study or in a small group environment, work Bible study, whatever, you know, if someone's taking the time to put the energy in to try to learn it and then to expound it in a way that people can understand it better, Most people are going to go, that was pretty cool. 
David talked about how excited learning God's word can be, and he wrote an entire song about it, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. So why don't we flip over there? Now, again, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Really, it is an ode to the word of God about how awesome it is, and it's, it speaks of so many different facets about why the word of God is so awesome. But I wanted to just share a few reasons why studying the Bible is exciting or why learning God's word is exciting. Psalm 119, keep your finger in Luke because we're going to go back there in a second. But in this song that David writes, in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11, he says, how shall a young man cleanse his way? In verse 9, Psalm 119, verse 9, how shall a young man cleanse his way? How are you going to figure out to clean up your mess? I don't know about you. I make a mess in my life all the time. All the time. And it can start as soon as you wake up in the morning. You're tired, you know, and you, the child wakes you up, and, and you look over with the sneer, and then you see their face, and you're like, I've already blown it. I'm not even fully awake yet. I've already scarred my child for the day. How shall a man, young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to your word. With my whole heart have I sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hid in my heart so I might not sin against you. Doesn't that sound like a good thing? That sounds like a really good thing. Look down to verses 25 through 28. David said, my soul, verse 25, cleaves unto the dust. You ever been there before? You know, emotionally, you're just like, you know, barely clinging to life. So he says, make me alive, quicken thou me, which means make me alive according to your word. I've declared my ways and you listen to me. Lord, I, I said, God, I messed it up. I don't know what to do. So teach me your statutes. Teach me how you do things. Make me to understand the way of your precepts. So I will talk of your wondrous works. I'll be able to tell other people, look at what God did in my life. My soul melts for heaviness, so strengthen me according to your word. Doesn't that sound exciting? 49 and 50. Here he says, remember the word unto your servant. Remember the promise you've made to your servant, upon which you have caused me to hope, because this is my comfort in my affliction, because your word has made me alive. It's given me life. You know, you ever gone through a suffering or a trial? What keeps you going? You know, remember the word, your word, remember your promise. It's the promises of God which have caused us to hope. Look at verses 92 and 93. David said in verse 92, unless your law had been my delights, I should have then perished in my affliction. So I will never forget your precepts for with them you have quickened me, made me alive. He says, if I had gone through a trial and affliction, a time of suffering, he goes, if I hadn't been you know, delighted in your word, I'd, I'd, I'd have been done. Verses 97 through 100. David says, oh, how I love your law. He says, your law is exciting to me. I love it. It's my meditation all the day. You through your commandments. Why is it? Because you through your commandments have made me wiser than my enemies. For they are ever with me. Your commandments are always there. You know? I, I've, I've had so many situations where I go, God, I don't even, how do I handle this? I'm not equipped to handle this. You know, I, I don't know how to fix this situation. I don't know how to help this couple. I don't know how to help this, this, this problem, you know? How do we tackle that? And then, you know, you open the word and, and you find some principles that help guide you through it. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are in meditation. I understand even more than the ancients, the very smartest of people, because I keep your precepts. Verse 105, your word, this is a famous one, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Don't you need to know where to go sometimes? I mean, verses 129 through 133, your testimonies are wonderful, full of miracles. Therefore, does my soul keep them? The entrance of your words give light. You ever felt like things were dark? He says, it gives understanding unto the simple. I qualify for that one. 
I opened my mouth and I panted for I longed for your commandments. So look thou upon me and be merciful unto me as you used to do unto those that love your name. How did he know that? How did he know that God was like that? Because he saw that God treated other people that way in the scriptures. He saw that God was faithful to to be compassionate and merciful to others, not giving them what they deserved. So he says, order my steps, verse 133, in your word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Doesn't that sound exciting that you're not in bondage to anything? Nothing, Nothing has possession of you? about verse 143 and 144? Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet your commandments are my delights. The righteousness or the justice, that's the right thing to do of your testimonies, well, that's everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. Does that sound like a boring thing? Not to me. I need that stuff. (laughs) I got four kids and we're in the process of adopting more. I, I need help. I don't know how to handle all those things, but Jesus does. Learning the scriptures is exciting. It was exciting for these people. And they're crowding in on him. Now, because they're crowding in on him, Jesus needed to find a way to speak so everybody could hear. And when he sees some fishing boats nearby, he gets an idea. So let's go back to Luke 5, verse 2. It says, and he saw two ships standing by the lake. Standing there means they were kind of docked. But the fishermen, they had already left them and they were washing their nets. So he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he asked him that he had thrust out a little bit from the land, and so he sat down in the boat, and he taught the people out of the boat. This is ships in the King James. These are not big, huge fishing vessels. These are pretty small ships. The best fishing was done at night. That's why these guys aren't out on the sea. The cities are all around the lake, and it's not a big lake, so it was noisy when the people were about. So as the cities around the lake grew quiet, the shoals of fish would come out of the deep, and thus creating a greater chance for good catches. So these guys, their workday is done. They're finishing up, you know, cleaning out their nets, taking out all the sand and the rocks so they can go home and get some rest. Peter's been following Jesus for a while. He's been his disciple for almost two years at this point in time. So Jesus isn't just hopping into a stranger's boat. He hops and makes a point to say he hopped into Simon's boat. And he says, hey, Simon, you know, he says, can you, you know, push out a little bit? I want to use the boat to teach. And because of the way it is, uh, it's below sea level. I think it's 800 and something feet below sea level. It's a perfect bowl in that area. So when you speak out from the sea, your voice projects quite a bit because it just, it's a natural amphitheater in there. And so he, you know, in pushing out, it would be able to project his voice and, and get some distance where he could speak to them in a way that they could hear him. And so, you know, he asked Peter to do this. So it, I'm just warning you, if you hop on somebody's random person's car while you're out street witnessing, please don't blame God when they call the police. That's not what's happening here. So as he's doing this, he teaches the people, and that's awesome. It says he taught the people out of the ship. And the word there is in the perfect tense, which means he continued teaching for a while. There's such a demand for Jesus' teaching that now it's going beyond the synagogue. Now, that was unheard of for a rabbi. Now, a rabbi would teach his, his little followers, his little rabbis in training wherever he'd go. But a rabbi just wouldn't conduct a teaching service wherever he was at. If people were going around saying, hey, rabbi, hey, rabbi Jesus, you know, rabbi so-and-so, you know, hey, what do you think about this? And, he, you know, they wouldn't go, oh, well, you know, let's all sit down and talk about it. The rabbi would go, you know, you're not one of my followers. You know, like, I'll see you at synagogue, you know, on Tuesday or whatever. But Jesus here, he always took time with people who wanted to know more about the Lord. He never saw people as an inconvenience. Do you? Do you ever see people as an inconvenience? You know, people that God created are never an inconvenience. I think, you know, this is a challenge to us in our culture because we don't like anyone messing with our lives. 
Don't mess with my day. Don't mess with my, my DVR recordings. Don't mess with my plan of how I'm going to do things. And Jesus wasn't like that at all, and neither should we be. Now, if we just had verses one through three, that'd be a cool story, you know? Most people would think, man, that was awesome. Lord, thanks for using me. I mean, it was cool. We got to use the boat, and then they would just head home. But remember, Jesus is a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit, yielded to his Father's plans. And the Father had a bigger reason for getting Jesus into that boat. Look at verse four. Now, when he had left speaking, when he had stopped teaching, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought, for a catch. Now, there's an interesting use of these words here. The phrase launch out is addressed to Peter. He just says that to Peter. But the phrase let down your nets is addressed to the entire crew. In other words, Jesus gives Peter the proper respect as the boat owner, but he lets everyone know his instructions of why he's asking Peter to do this. Now, when he, they hear those instructions, it puts Peter in a bit of a pickle. Why? Well, that's not how you do fishing. So Peter answered him and said, Master, <laughs> we have toiled all the night and we have caught nothing. That's the worst thing you want to say as a fisherman. That's embarrassing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the left. The word there, master, it means superintendent or overseer. The title speaks of authority. So it conveys the fact that Peter is willing to submit to Jesus' commands. He's not being a rebel rouser here. He understands, Lord, hey, I'm, you're the teacher, I'm the follower. I get it. You're, 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 my, you're the boss spiritually for me, you know? I get it. But the rest of his response shows that he thinks he's the real authority on fishing. Because he says, we toiled all night. The word toil there means to engage in hard work, implying the work wasn't easy. It was troublesome. It means working to the point of fatigue. Peter's crew was exhausted. They knew their boss followed Jesus, but they weren't going to be excited about going back out after pulling an unsuccessful all-nighter. It's hard enough when you pull an all-nighter, but at least at the end of the day, if you've got something to show for it, you can kind of clap each other, pat, pat each other on the back and you know, clap hands and be like, okay, let's go home and get some sleep. But these guys had an unsuccessful all-nighter. They're grumpy, they're tired, they just want to go home. Plus, the odds said you didn't catch fish during the day or by fishing in deep waters. Peter was going to lose a lot of face with his men if he didn't at least point out how absurd Jesus' instructions were to those who really knew how to fish. If you have a, your King James Bible there or any other Bible, there'll probably be, I don't know others, I just know mine, has a, has a colon there. And that means there's an indefinite pause. It means there's a, a pause there where he's waiting for Jesus to kind of let him off the hook and go, okay, I see you've had a rough night. How about we do it a different day? But Jesus doesn't answer. Jesus had no answer to Peter's objection. And so Peter says, nevertheless, if that's what you're saying, I'll let down my net. That's an important lesson for you and me. No matter how much I think I know about something, Jesus knows more. What does the Bible say in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? You guys know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways and everything you do, acknowledge him. Take him into account, right? So what's impossible for me is not impossible for him. So nevertheless, I'll do what you say. Now, there's no great faith in Peter here. It's simple obedience. And while that's good, it's not what Jesus is after, as we'll see in a moment. Now look at verse six, what happens. Now when they had, this, had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes. And uh, King James says their net break. That's not a good translation. It means their nets started to tear. 
their nets began to tear. And so they beckoned unto their partners. Now, they didn't expect to catch a bunch of stuff, so their partners didn't come out with them. So they're waving to them because they're too far away to talk to them. And they're like, oh, get over here, you know. And so they came that they should come and help them. So when they came, they filled both the ships with fish so that both of those ships began to sink. They began to plunge low in the water. Now, we do need to identify the partners because that's James and John. You guys know them as other disciples of Jesus. So we've got four future disciples, or four current disciples, but four future apostles here. We've got Peter and Andrew, brothers, and then James and John, another brothers. They were in business together as fishermen. And so they're all you know, bringing this fish in, and the ships begin to plunge low. That's what the word sink means. They begin to plunge low in the water. The ships aren't sinking. They're just beginning to plunge low in the water, and they're taking on water. So these were some very wet fishermen at this point in time. And yet, could you imagine how excited they were? They're like, holy cow, we haven't had a catch like this in months. I don't think they cared too much about how much of a mess they or their boat were at the moment. But here's the big thing. As they're trying to get everything under control, Peter has a very different reaction than them. Look at verse eight. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The word fell down, it's a word in the Middle East for, we don't do this in our culture, but to prostrate oneself. You would bow down and put your face to the ground with your hands extended in reverence or submission. Now, Peter couldn't flatten himself on the bottom of the boat because it was a massive pile of growing seawater, okay? So that's why he only got to Jesus' knees. Now, most of us, we feel a little awkward kneeling at church. We're not, our culture is not particularly expressive. In the Middle East, they're very expressive, we also, if we were to do it though, we've got nice padded carpets. It's not too hard. To throw yourself into this position while in standing water is a pretty emotional reaction, don't you think? I mean, you're, you're knee deep in water and all of a sudden he plunges. He's got his face right against the water. Peter's words show why he had such an emotional reaction to this. He says, depart from me. The word there, it's a command, an imperative, which means you must leave me. You must, must leave my presence. You should not be here with me. You must separate yourself from me. Why? For I am a sinful man. Peter had heard many of Jesus' teachings over the last year and a half, two years about salvation from sin. But this, this kind of brought it home, didn't it? Peter's pride, his self-sufficiency, his arrogance, his know-it-allness, his smart-alkiness, all that stuff. It all brought it home right here. See, Peter knew he didn't deserve a catch like this. He knew Jesus didn't deserve the contempt in his earlier reply. See, Peter in this moment knew exactly who he was, someone who falls short of God's standard. And when perfect love is standing in front of you in that moment when you realize that, you understand you don't deserve it. That's why the Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. You know, God doesn't, God doesn't you know, come up with you know, this big, huge, flaming sword and be like, repent or perish, you know? He, he comes up in a place where we're looking around going, yeah, I think I'm in trouble. And he says, I don't want you to perish. So why don't you repent? Why don't you change? Why don't you turn around? Why don't you give me your life? Because I love you and I'll take it. No matter how ruined, 
how wrecked it is. The Word of God is the only thing that can change the heart of man. To have an authentic encounter with God is to hear His voice penetrating through. His truth in our lives brings transformation. We don't have to live stuck in our ways, in our own sin and shame. God can speak into any soul, into any situation, and bring life. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.